One of my favorite parts of being a pastor over the years has been walking through with married couples. I think we've only had married couples. The Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage videos. Anyone ever been through those, watched those? You don't even remember the ones who've done it with me? We did go through that together. If you have never heard it before and you're married or want to be married or whatever, um, and you have access to the internet, um, get on YouTube and search Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage um, and have a Kleenex nearby. It is one of the funniest, most meaningful um, series that you can go through. It was great to do that here at First Friends. It was a hilarious time. And I love the way he opened. He kind of set the stage for the session together. He's like, I got a, something like this. He's like, I have a very special Bible verse that Jesus wants to share with you today. It's actually Jesus' own words about what marriage will be like. And it's right in the middle of the Gospel of John, and he's talking about um, Jesus coming back and all kinds of things happening. And then he just says this one simple verse, says, you will have trouble in this life. And that's how he begins his series on marriage, that you are in trouble. <laughs> and I think there's something, there's some wisdom in that, in the fact that for you and I, in the world we live in, that verse is true. That in this life, there will be trouble, Right? There's going to be affliction. There's going to be suffering. Things are going to go wrong, and, and the wheel's going to come off the cart, so to speak, and we are going to see affliction in our life. And I'm grateful the Bible is honest about that. God doesn't mince words with us. He doesn't pretend. He's very honest and, and very open about revealing to us through the stories in the Bible, particularly for us in this series, the Apostle Paul, what it was like to be a servant of God in that day and how Troubling times come and bad things happen to us and why and what can we do about it and how can we walk with God and work through these things together and meet the Holy Spirit in the middle of it all. And so Paul talks about in this passage something that you may have never grasped as you read Ephesians chapter 3 verses 1 through 13. He talks about his own affliction and why God allowed it to happen. Now, when I read that passage for the first time, getting ready for this, the word mystery jumped out at me. Did you hear that as Brother Ted read it? Several times the word mystery came about, and and why we suffer is one of the greatest mysteries in life, isn't it? Why do bad things happen to good good people? Why do good things happen to good people? We never really ask that question too much, but why, why are we afflicted, and what is God's purpose in it all? I'm going to dispense some affliction to you this morning because I read years ago, I don't have where, I just took notes on the points. There were 17 reasons why we were afflicted. And I'm, I'm going to afflict you less than I could by only telling you 14. And they're going to be on the screen. If you have something to write with and a piece of paper, I really would encourage you to write these down because as I looked at them, I think that at some point we're all going to say, oh, that was me. Yeah, I see that that time in my life, I was suffering because of that. Maybe it was because of a bad decision you made and God was disciplining you. Maybe it was because God needed you to be there for someone else. Maybe he needed to slow you down. We're going to get into all those reasons why. But I'm just doing 14 of the 17 that, that I could have given you. And I'm just going to leave those with you. We'll, we'll just touch on them very briefly. I told Kim to get her fingers ready because we're going we're gonna to go through them because the 14 points aren't the main point of the message. We've got some stuff to get to after that. So we want to make sure that we get through those and leave enough time um, for what Paul was really trying to say through that. So several different kinds of suffering that we know in the world. Uh, the first one is edemic suffering. 
And this really comes because of the original sin in the Garden of Eden and every other kind of suffering that follows, follows because of that first decision that was made in the Garden of Eden. And if everything had remained as it was, then I'd have no sermon to preach this morning on suffering because Adam and Eve would have done it right and it would have done it the way God intended them to. But because of the fall in the Garden of Eden, every kind of suffering follows because of that. There's another kind of affliction that we would just call punishment. Have you ever made a decision that you knew was wrong and then you paid for it later? Those of you who are children might look over at your parents and go, yeah, I still feel that suffering and that punishment. You might remember how God removed himself from you or caused some bad things to happen in your life because of the punishment that was happening. Remember when Job's friends came to him, they were like, you know, what'd you do wrong, man? What kind of sin did you let in your life for God to do this to you? And I hope that you don't have friends that immediately jump to the conclusion that because something bad has happened in your life that you've done something wrong to deserve it. Uh, The rest of scripture doesn't point to a God like that. He points to a God who loves us and who will never leave us or forsake us, not a God who is always wanting to punish us. But that can be one of the reasons that we're suffering and facing affliction. Number three, there's consequential affliction. And that really is continuing on with the one before it, where it basically means that you reap what you sow. If you go to Burger King every day for every meal, uh, do you think your body is going to go, yay, this is awesome, I feel great? There's going to be suffering and affliction in more than one way, and the decisions that you make will cause a certain amount of your destiny coming to follow, coming to fruition, And that really is the kind of life that we live. Those outside the church might call it karma. But in the Bible, it's very clear that when when men and women, children, boys and girls, grown-ups make decisions, there oftentimes are consequences that are very much beyond our control. And, And we need to be willing to have a discussion with God and say, is some of the things that are happening to me, are they my fault? Are they because of decisions that I've made? And Obviously, if that's the case, we need to repent of them. There's something else, another kind of affliction we're just going to call demonic affliction. It could be voices that you hear in the night. It could be um, affliction and persecution that you would have never known. Read Ephesians chapter 6, and Paul talks about some of that in his life today. But we, um, interesting, the Catholic Church seems wrapped up in the demonic they just have focused on that, and it is something that the church is, I, can't, I think, a little afraid of. Wherever Jesus, many times in Jesus' ministry, he came up into the face of a demonic force, didn't he? It wasn't rare for him. It wasn't unusual. In fact, it was kind of common for the evil forces that were at work in the spiritual realm to be confronted by the presence of God. And we shouldn't pretend that there may be some of the things that we're going through because there's a demonic force working upon us and we need to be healed of that and God's spirit to come in and do some healing and cleaning. So that can be one of the ways that we suffer. Another one is that we're a victim. This is, you know, we talked about consequential suffering, but this is the kind where someone has made a decision that directly affects us. And when our situation is beyond our control and there's nothing that we can do about it. It is one of the most difficult things that you can go through in life is to, to face a hard time, to face a bad moment out of no choice of your own. And even though you do everything in your power to remove yourself from that pain or from that suffering, 
here you are. You may have been mistreated. You may have been attacked. Look at Paul's life, thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. He was doing everything right for God, and yet trials came. Another kind of affliction we're going to call collective. Did you know that God might send suffering into First Friends Church for more than one person? I tell you, there's rarely anything more beautifully seen in the church than someone who is hurting to be surrounded by God's people with love and prayers and finances if they need it and help in more than one way. And when God's people come together collectively in community to be with each other in the middle of darkness, that is the picture of the church that shines through. That is the picture of the church that we will remember. That is the picture of the church in the middle of a difficult moment that will keep you through your dark hour. Another kind of affliction that Paul talked about is disciplinary. I don't want to use it as God spanking you for doing something wrong because we already talked about that earlier. This is the kind of action that God kind of sends you away. You know what? You really could have made a better decision here than you did. So why don't you think about it for a few days and then maybe the next time this situation comes your way, you know, you might react better. Have you ever messed up and said something that you really shouldn't have said? We'll get to that one in a minute. (laughs) And then, even though you may have never planned it, you never thought those words would come out of your mouth, especially in the way that they came out of your mouth, and then someone comes to you the next day and says, Pastor, I heard about this conversation. What on earth were you thinking? What were you doing? Maybe the person that you said it to says, I was really offended by, you know, or some way it comes back and God is trying to bring some kind of corrective action into your life and it may not be the most comfortable thing. How many of you like to be confronted with your own mistakes? You can say no to that, Ted, if you'd like to. Okay. It's, it's a bad feeling, isn't it? It hurts. It, it's embarrassing. It's It's traumatic. For many people to be told, hey, you were wrong. You messed up. What are you going to do to get it right? And sometimes God allows those kinds of conversations to come upon our way in order to bring some kind of corrective action. Number eight, there's also vicarious affliction. And this is where, this is kind of what I'm going to talk about is persecution. Paul's living for Jesus. He's doing God's work. He's serving in the ministry. And it was like, you know, All these people that had been his friends now were his enemies suddenly, and they were out for him. Paul says in Ephesians 6 that our war isn't against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of this age. Yet it sure feels like sometimes there are people that are out to get us. Anyone have anyone in your life like that? They're just out to get you. No matter how hard you try, no matter how gracious you are, no matter how much you serve, no matter what you do to do right, they're just, they're just there. It's almost like one of the thorns in the flesh that Paul talks about. And the reaction is to, to crush the thorn, isn't it? Any of you ever like to get a burn pile going and throw all your, your old branches and old needles away and just get rid of it? And that's not really good in relationships, is it? Has that ever worked for you? 
emotionally burning someone at the stake because they hurt you. This is not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about a, a graceful growth in God's spirit, even in the middle of a difficult relationship or situation. Another thing, and it's related to the collective and communal earlier, is this kind of empathetic affliction. When, you, when I first read the book of Job as a young Christian, and his wife kind of cast him out into the sea of darkness, and then, then the Bible says his buddies came to him like, oh, this would be good. He needs that encouragement. He needs that support. He needs someone to empathize with him. But you know the story, don't you? They, uh, they took about one sentence of empathy, and then they shoved it all down his throat, stabbed him in the back, and left them worse than how they found him. And that should never be the church, should it? It should be that in the middle of a difficult place in our life, we come together and we empathize with each other. That's not just saying I'm sorry, but that's sitting down and say, gosh, I'm not sure I understand how much you're hurting, but I want you to know that I'll always be here for you. If you want to go out for coffee or donuts or pizza or whatever, you're, you know, I'll be there for you. I'll be here for you no matter what. And it just might be that in our most difficult moments, God develops relationships in us and through us that he could have never developed any other way. Don't push people away in the middle of your affliction because it just might be God's building something new in the middle of it all. All right, moving on, number 10, there's also testimonial affliction. And this is, this is kind of the direction that some of the message is gonna to go to follow. But Paul essentially spends this entire chapter saying it's an incredible mystery to me that I would minister for the gospel and be thrown in jail, but yet because of it all, his word is gonna go places it could have never gone any other way. I mean, he's in the middle of the governmental center of his day. His voice and his message and the gospel will be heard in, in, in a fashion and, and a scope that could have never been heard in any other manner. And I don't think Paul planned it that way. I don't think he thought God had scripted it that way. But in the middle of his uh, literal dungeon, I was reading this morning that in some of the places in, in this part of the world, their dungeons were, were literally, imagine, just a hole in the ground. You put a prisoner in there and you put a, a grate over it, you know, with, with holes for air to go through so they don't suffocate. And then you put another prisoner on top. And there's no door to exit to use the restroom or anything like that. And you just stacked them one on top of the other. And despite whatever kind of dark hole Paul was in, he said, I am here for God's glory so that the gospel would be shared. What a beautiful place it is for you and I in the middle of our dark hour, our difficult moments to be suddenly reminded or to be made aware of the fact that there's so much more going on here than we could have ever realized. And maybe the place that we're at today, as difficult that is, as it is and as hard as it may be to hear that God has a greater plan than just to make you miserable, is that you could wrap your arm around someone else. You would find a venue a station, a place where you could share the gospel with others. And your testimony of what you're going through right now may be the greatest story you could ever tell. There's another kind of affliction, and we're getting closer to the end of that part, that we're gonna call providential affliction. And this is increasing the worship of God and his glory. Paul's here in this place because God put him there. 
so that God's name could be glorified through Paul in the place where he was at. It may be one of the most difficult things for us to come to grips with the fact that where we are today in the difficult moment that we are in, as long as we haven't been the one who caused it, if we've been following God like Job had, or like Paul, and we're here because God has led us to this place in this difficult moment, is so that it would be all about God and not about us. Providential affliction where God receives the glory through what we are going through. And I think that we've got to work through a lot of the ones that we've already talked about before. We're ready to give God this place in our life. Because until we wrestle with the fact of why we're here and who we are in the middle of it and what God is going to do in the middle of it all, we're, we're not really thinking about the big picture of the fact that this can be all about Jesus. What I'm going through today can be all about him. And that's what Paul was able to do in his suffering was to make it all about God. Another thing that we can see in this passage is preventative affliction. How many of you ever been to the doctor and maybe get some blood work done? You ever had an EKG done? Or one of those horrifying tests that I won't even mention by name that many of you had to go through and the doctor goes, well, I don't see any cancer. I, I, you know, you, you seem to be good health, but there's a few things that we need to change. Your diet has got to go. Or maybe you need to have a diet to begin with. And that everyday trip to Burger King that we mentioned earlier really is a bad idea. And you know you haven't been feeling good, you've been having some chest pain or, you know, weakness or not sleeping well or whatever the symptoms may be. And the doctor says, you know, I really think that that was a sign for us to realize that you need to make some changes. There's some preventative action that needs to go into your life in order for you to, to live healthily into the future. When, uh, when I was in chaplaincy training in Ohio, we talked a lot about self-care. And our supervisor asked us one day, we went outside in the gazebo, it was 95 degrees and inhumid as could be, and it was horrible, it was miserable. I hated being outside in Ohio in the summertime in a suit and tie, especially. And she was like, when was the last time that you just took a day for yourself? And I had five other cohorts that I was working with, and I didn't like my answer, so I kept my mouth shut, and I waited for someone else to speak. And so I turned to my partner next to me, and they didn't have anything to say. And so all the eyes went to the next one, and we were all waiting for someone else to give the answer. And it was pretty obvious after about six seconds that we all had a, uh, you know, a lot of work to do in this area of our life. And she's like, can I assume that there's been no time made for yourself in the last year? Significant time, that is. And uh, to the best of our memories, our answer was, yes, you're right. She's like, well, this may be difficult for you to hear, but you got to fix that. And we didn't, you know, that was a moment where there was some preventative action going on and really some preemptive action going on where we could do some things right. Change your diet, take care of yourself, do things, work on the way you handle difficulty in relationships, be able to prevent things from coming on in the future. And 13 is the mystery that we talked about. Pretty exhaustive lifts that we just went through. Um, and it may be that you're like, wow, you know, those make sense to me, but I still don't see me in any of that. Like, well, pastor, why'd you just tell us all that if it's not even there? Life is an incredible mystery, isn't it? 
and why we're going through things and how we go through things is, is there's no prescription. There's not a Bible verse for every one of your circumstances that I can give to you and bam, that's the magic pill and it, it helps you like no other verse can help you. God can do that and the Holy Spirit is there for you. But there are times in our life and moments in our days where we're just not really sure what's going on. I think that's probably where Job was at during that whole conversation with his friends. Why is this happening to me? Why are these people here? Why are they talking to me like this? Why are you allowing them to talk to me like this? What is going on here? And it had been a number of days since that initial moment of loss. And yet we're here in this moment today and we're not really sure why. And that's okay. Maybe if we wrote down the other things and allow the Holy Spirit to work through those things, then the Lord might help us to figure that out. And lastly, I'm not gonna talk about a lot because I'm not an end times kind of guy, but there was on this list, you know, the day is drawing near when Jesus comes again. And there are just places in the Bible where say the church is gonna lose its love, the church in, in times is gonna lose its light, it's not gonna take sound teaching, it's one of one a bunch of entertainment and fluff, and it may just be that because the day is drawing near, things get more difficult. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us through that time. All right, I afflicted you with 14 ways that we can be afflicted. I hope that you wrote them down. I hope that we can pray through those at home or maybe on our break at work sometime when it's getting difficult to see what is going on. But one of the great temptations when we give a list like this is to focus on the, on the why and the what. And that's not what we've been doing in this series. We've been focusing on the who. Who am I? Who is Jesus? And because Paul continuously says, I'm to be in him, how do I be in him and go through suffering? And so there's a few ways that I wanna talk really quickly about this morning together about how we can be in Jesus and allow him to work through us even if we don't have all the answers, even if none of those ideas make sense to us and we don't see our situation in any of them or maybe we do see a couple of ways where we have said, yeah, that makes sense, that's kind of me. That's kind of where I'm at on all of this. And so we ask, who is Jesus asking us to be? What is our identity to be at looking like in the middle of all of this? And so there's a few ways that we're gonna say together, God is wanting to do this in us. And we may not like this, but one of the ways that Paul recognizes God is in the middle of his particular prison, literally, is that he is to be afflicted so others would benefit. You'll see it up on the screen. He was afflicted, not because God wanted to make him miserable, not because God wanted to ruin his life. Paul was in that place for you and I. Paul was in that place that the early church would have the power and the word and the vision to go forward. Paul was in that place of difficulty so that others would not lose sight of the prize. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ on behalf of the Gentiles, I am here, it's a great mystery, so that you would know the mystery of God in this place. Paul's words, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is not made known to the sons of men in other generations, and has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Holy Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
Paul says, I'm here in this place surrounded by Gentiles on every side so that the Gentiles could know that God has come for them. God had placed him in a moment in time where he was surrounded by people who needed to hear exactly what Paul was going through. The message that God was giving him, he was at exactly the right place, exactly the right time, exactly the right moment for God to use him to do something amazing. That's beautiful. That is amazing. That's miraculous, really, when we're able to be at that place in our journey, even if we don't have all the answers of why, to realize who God is leading us to become in the middle of the place that we find ourselves. And when we, like Paul, in whatever manner the Holy Spirit is able to do for us to realize that I'm here because I'm surrounded by a community of people who may know God and may not. We've got to be okay with one thing is to go to our coworker who's seen us suffer, to seen us hurt and say, you know what, I've been working through this for a month or a day or a year or three years or eight years and I still don't know all the reasons why God has allowed this to happen, but can I tell you one thing? He's been there every second of the journey. And here are the ways that he's blessed me and the way he's been with me and how he helps me to deal with the fact that I don't have the answers to the hardest questions in my life. But yet I have a peace that passes all understanding. Even though I don't have any answers of why or how, I know who he is and who he is making me to become. I wrote it earlier in my message and I I didn't say this sentence that I wrote because I wanted to save it till now because I I think that you and I, for the most part, there may be some middle ground where people stick their head in the sand about life, but for the most part, we handle suffering one of two ways. We handle trial one of two ways. We handle persecution one of two ways. When things don't go right, we either get bitter or we get better. And I don't mean that we get completely better. It just means that we we have a direction to take, right? We can either throw our hands up in the air and accuse God and get angry and turn away from him and walk away. We get bitter. Or we throw our hands up in the air and say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm gonna follow you anyways. And that's the process of becoming better. And part of that process of becoming better is understanding who we are in Jesus. The fact that we follow him is pretty much a guarantee. Jesus' own words to begin the message, in this life we will have trouble. It's coming. It may already be here in the fact that he has called us to live for him in the middle of our trouble. It's a reminder of who we are to be in light of his grace in our life, we are called to be followers of him so that others will be benefited by our life. Another reason that Paul says that we are able to go through affliction, the reason God allows us to go through affliction is so that we can grow. And that may be even harder than the rest, but you know, here is a man who was, you know, the most studious among the people that he knew. He had the greatest He had this greatest background as far as success and power and position and prestige. Paul was on top of the ladder. He was the man. He he could command people beneath him. He was a man of influence. And yet when he turned his life over to Jesus, everything fell apart in that way. 
Now the man who had everyone underneath him literally was in his dungeon underneath most everyone around him. And yet he says, I am placed here as a minister of the gospel. What a humbling moment that must have been, moments for Paul to take the direction that his life had taken up until he met Jesus, and then suddenly he met God, you know, and honestly, if you turn on some televangelists today, they, they would say this story is wrong because when you accept Jesus, man, everything gets perfected, right? You become rich, you become wealthy, you will have grace upon grace, and you give your life to Jesus, and everything in your life will turn around and go perfect. And Paul would say, yeah, no, that's not quite the way it happened for me, in fact, you know, it wasn't very many days after I gave my heart to Jesus that I lost my career, I lost my friends, I lost my job, I lost my finances, I lost literally everything that he'd known had been ripped away from him simply because he gave his life to Jesus and was willing to follow him no matter where he would leave him. And he said in his passage, he said, my ministry is by the grace of God. It wasn't because of his knowledge or his training or his background or his influence. It was because he was in a place where literally he had no one else to turn to but him. And yet when everything was taken away, look at the man he became. Look at the work he was able to do because he was willing to submit himself to the path that God had laid out for him, for the path that God was leading him into. And he realizes that I've been put in a place like this for a moment like this, for a people like this, because I serve a God who loves me like this. I wish that Paul would have written somewhere the journey of how he discovered the fact that God loved him even though everything was going wrong. Because I have to share with you that when life falls apart, it's really one of the most difficult things to feel good about much of anything, right? Now, if you were to come to me, you heard maybe I was in the hospital last week, which I wasn't, but if I was in the hospital, and you heard, and you heard that pastor in the hospital, you'd come to me, oh, pastor, I've been praying for you, and I love you, and, and is there anything we can do for you? And that, that physical presence would be such a blessing and reminder that I was loved and cared for, and Paul was literally thrown in a dungeon to die for his crimes. He had a couple guys who would come and minister to him, but for the most part, he was alone. And yet he was able to say, I'm here by the grace of God for the ministry of God so that others would hear about his love and God's glory would be revealed through my life. I wish he'd have processed all of that, except maybe he said, for me to live is to die is gain. He did a lot of process in the middle of his pain. That God was able to be there with him in the middle of his darkest moments even though he didn't have any of the answers to his questions, to realize that God would always be there for him in every way. He said in this passage, so the church, through the manifold wisdom of God, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That it was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him, so that we would not lose heart. Paul talks about this idea of everything that we go through being for the glory of God. 
And I think that we all have our own particular journey to go through in the way we face affliction and suffering. It may even be persecution. You know, I can't help but read Paul's writings and wonder in the culture that we live in today when, when you and I are gonna need to turn to this passage because we've been persecuted for speaking out about the gospel. Laws are being passed in cities and townships, both in our country and many others, where preaching the word of God and his standard is a hate crime. And it may just be that in another, my generation or the next, preaching the word that's been preached in the church for 2,000 years will become a crime that could send you to jail. Thankfully, it's not our age and time at this moment. But Paul says, in the middle of all of this, don't feel sorry for me, don't lose heart. God has placed me here for a higher purpose, and that is for God to be glorified through everything that I do and everything that I say, all the conversations that I have with those in my trial. As we try to figure this out and take the next step in this journey, every conversation I have is something that I've had to work through on my own already. I've grown. I've learned. I've become more like him. I've, I've already discovered who I am in Jesus, that I have a friend that will be with me even though I don't have the answers. He's helped me realize that maybe some of the things I've been through are of my own doing. And I've corrected those. Or it may be that I was serving the Lord and something bad happened to me because I was out there. Have you ever met someone who won't be in ministry because they've been hurt? Ever met somebody like that? Like, nope, never again, not doing that because someone hurt my feelings. What happened to Jesus when he put himself in ministry? They crucified him. And Jesus was honest and he says, God, I'm not sure I wanna go through this, but nevertheless, This is your will for me. If you want me to go through it, you'll be there with me. It's troubling for me when I hear someone say, nope, never gonna be in ministry again, never stepping out again because I got hurt. They killed Jesus, friends. They killed him because he stayed in ministry. We've gotta be able to work through our mess, work through our stuff, work through our hurt, work through the difficult circumstances and figure out who we are in Jesus. What it's like to live for him in the middle of dark moments and and cloudy days and rainy skies and realize that it may be totally out of our control why we're here today in the place that we are. But the one thing that is in our control is who we become in Jesus in the middle of the place that we find ourselves today. And Paul says, I've become a closer friend to him than any other way. And I want God's glory to be revealed in me in this place. You know, he knew he was never gonna make it out of there alive, save a miracle. It was obvious to him. You read his writings and over and over again, he comes down to the end of his letter and basically said, well, I'd really rather be there, heaven, because this isn't a really fun place, this prison that I'm in. It's dark and it's lonely and I don't know what morning I'm gonna wake up and it will be my last. So it'd be a whole lot easier for me just to be gone, to be in heaven with him. I'd be much happier, I think in my mind, instead of being here now stuck in this place to be in that place. But nevertheless, God has a purpose for me in this moment and that purpose is for others to hear about Jesus through me. Read the writings of Paul and you hear his story over and over again. Went to share the gospel and shipwrecked, left for dead, 
beaten over and over again for the gospel. And his story is amazing, the kind of twists and turns that it took as he followed Jesus. But you know what he never lost sight of? God's love and plan for his life. His identity was never stuck on the past. These terrible things happened to me so that I will never be able to do this or I could never feel that or I could never go there. It was always, that happened to me. What's God gonna do about it now? And I think that for you and I in our afflictions, as we navigate maybe some of the reasons, the kind of afflictions that we have, it may just be that God is, is gonna gently nudge us to a, a deeper level of understanding, not of, of why and how, but of who he is in us and who he wants us to become in him. What a beautiful picture Paul's life was of a man who had it all and lost it all and yet suddenly had it all back again in Christ. That's the direction that God is calling us to as we turn our eyes to Jesus to realize who he wants us to become in him is so much more beautiful than maybe what we thought we've lost or what we feel like we're losing or the difficult place that we find ourselves in today. It may just be that we find heaven on earth as we find Jesus in the middle of who we are and what we're going through. We're gonna ask our worship team to come up and lead us in a closing song. Paul was no, no slouch. He was like, you know, I'd rather be gone from this place, but nevertheless, God, if you've got me here, let's do it all for you. He found a place in his life where it wasn't about the difficult places he was in as much as it was how in this moment can the most, the maximum amount of people hear about Jesus through me? What a beautiful place that is for you and I to be. In our difficult moment, when we wake up in tears or go to bed in tears, say, Lord, I'm hurting, and you understand that, but what is the most effective way for the gospel to be shared through what I'm going through right now? Can God lead us to that place? Can God lead you there? in the middle of your hurt, to realize that he's got a ministry for you beyond your wildest imaginations. As we turn our eyes to him, he's able to do that in us. Let's stand as we sing together.